Oh man, there's so much, so much I want to get to here. Um, wow, that that's worth the price of admission right there. Um, let's uh, going back to uh, the covenant of works. I think the centrality uh, of the scriptures in our faith that we being people of a, of a revelational epistemology, I think that does away with the notion. Um, the, the notion that anything before Matthew was works and anything after Malachi is grace, as you highlighted so well that these are all these while they're shadows and types, the substance was always Christ, as Colossians two tells us. Well, um, the writer of Hebrews says the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Yeah. So, what were all of these sacrifices uh, doing or implying? I mean, the Lord says when I you know, when I when I smell the sacrifice, or when I, you know, when the sacrifice is given, I'll forgive the people. Well, was he kidding? No, why? Why was he? Why were they? Why were they efficacious? Or is Jesus just? Or was the Lord just um, speaking obliquely there, not really meaning what he said? Uh, I think he was meaning what he said. Amen. But he just was not abstracting those sacrifices from the sacrifice of his son, of which they were all uh, signs yes. and, and indicators and, and, and promises and testaments. So if somebody was going to participate in the, um, uh, the religious life of the nation, um, it could not be a participation that was... Um, resting upon either a rote obedience, a um, you know a, a checking the necessary box obedience, um, a you know I'm 50 years old, so um, I should have uh, at least uh, you know, 50 uh, Day of Atonement sacrifices, uh, you know, to my credit, you know, so I'll be able to stand before God, you know, on that day, that kind of thing. Uh, no, they had to believe of what these things, because man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. That's a New Testament text? No, that's an Old Testament text Amen. from First uh, Samuel. Yeah. So, um, th- uh, you know, what, what does it say of, about how we apprehend these Old Testament believers and, and faithful we, we need to we need to we need to recognize that they were not, you know, putting their faith in things or in external means um, as means as 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 means themselves, right? Right. But were united to the true means. And the only way that you know that's perceptible is with the eyes of faith. Um, and if you if you rest, just like today, if you rest simply in your church attendance or your membership badge, your your baptism, if you have had that, you should have had that. But uh, if you're going to be um, uh, truly a member of, of the church, right. um, or your participation in the table of the Lord, uh, even sitting under the preaching, or the the um, you know someone who is uh, declaiming from a pulpit or lectern or uh, stage or any such thing, you know, 
the things themselves have got to be pointing you to Christ. You mm. need eyes mm. of faith to see him, to hear him, as Romans chapter 10 says. Yeah, amen, <laughs> amen to that. Um, that was a that was another that was another understanding that um, you you referred to in the first twenty minutes, going all the way back there. You talked about um, you talked about the sign in the seal being present being present in every administration of the covenant of grace, and that um, and that uh, foreshadowing always being that that substance of Christ. So of course, I'm paraphrasing you a little bit here. But um, what you just quoted from Hebrews 10, um, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of these things can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year after year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in in those sacrifices there's a reminder of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Now, when I was in the dispensational camp, it was very common to hear, the blood of bulls and goats could cover your sin, but only Jesus' blood could take it away. And this passage, I think, completely completely undoes that um, in its entirety. So when you look at Leviticus 4, mostly, um, so the priest shall make atonement for them and they will be forgiven one situation. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him in regards for his sin and it will be forgiven just six verses away. And then another four verse, five verses away from that and thus the priest shall make atonement for him in regards to the sin which he has committed and will be forgiven. Every single time it's in the context of the sin offering in this context of either this bull or this goat or this lamb. In the reality is Hebrews is telling us that this could never take away sin. It has to be a participation in the, in the true substance in, in, in Christ, as you were bringing out. Um, would you like to expound? Uh, hopefully somebody will eventually listen to this that has no concept of the sacramental union, and this would be a fantastic introduction. When you talk about that sign and that thing signified, um, the outward participation in worship and pointing to the internal reality, um, would you care to talk about what a sacrament is? What's a sacramental union? Um, how are they participating in the substance of, of Christ in these Old Testament sacrifices and what have you? Well, probably the best place to begin an answer, and I'd probably offend some listener or whatever by saying I'm going to go to the Catechism, okay, but the catechism is a distillation of what we think the Bible teaches. So if that needs to be said, maybe that would encourage someone who might be a little doubtful about, you know, well, I thought he was about the Bible, he was using a lot of the Bible up till now, but okay, let's um, not be afraid of terminology like Sacrament. Oh my goodness, that sounds Roman. Um, Well, you know, the word, it may come from the Latin, but, uh, um, you know, it has a a Greek analog, and uh, the Greek analog is found in the scripture. 
But, uh, you know, it talks about uh, stewards of the mysteries. That's one place where you find that um, parallel Greek term. But um, in any case, uh, to go to the catechism answer with respect to what is a sacrament, so the shorter catechism, so this is not even the... uh, the, the catechism for the for the for the pastors or whatever. This is the catechism for those young people, you know, growing up into the faith. How do you express the faith? And so, um, a sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein, by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. So in this definition, you have a particularly New Testament definition. Okay, So it makes explicit that it is instituted by Christ. And that's important because... Uh, it speaks against the notion in reformational terms that the church or any church body can create uh, sacraments or any other uh, holy ordinance, uh, let alone a sacrament, because these are obviously somehow special, right? Somehow there's something peculiar, in the best sense of the word, about these things. Okay, But the church can't do it. It has to be instituted by Christ, and um, so that so that Christ, which is to say he himself, along with and the benefits of the new covenant, are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. And so the reference there is to Christ and the benefits of the new covenant. And it would be it would be improper uh, to say anything other than the benefits of the New Covenant, because the New Covenant is where we are in time and space. He could have said um, the benefits of the covenant of grace. And that would be a broader expression. That would include, like, more than just, say, a New Testament-orientated time of, of, of confession. Right? But this is, this is a confession for us in our time. So there's nothing wrong. In fact, it's commendable that we say Christ and the benefits of the new covenant. It's our covenant. It's the covenant, that, it's the covenant administration under which we are operating. Now, there are people who say that one of the great differences, one of the um, absolute Distinctions that they would point to would be to say that, well, in the New Covenant, because it's so spiritual, that it is completely, totally, 100% administered by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. And what that translates to is whether or not people are thinking all the way through this or not I think it's fair to say what that translates to is that there is no earthly administration of the new covenant the ministers of the new covenant 
don't really minister in the way of baptism or the Lord's Supper. They don't really administer the new covenant because it's all spiritual and it's all perfect. It's all done perfectly and spiritually. And so there's this disjunction between what happened in the old covenant time where you would have ministers of the old covenant, priests in particular, but you could point to the, um, I, think it's, I think the Latin is triplex munis, or the threefold office, the prophets, the priests, the kings, the anointed offices of the old covenant. Um, the threefold office, uh, which, of course, the anointedness is what, was, is what translates to the term for Messiah or Christ, the anointed one. Um, and he, uniquely, uniquely in the fullest sense of the word, um, fulfills all three of the offices. Um, there were, um, contrary to what some might think, there were people in the Old Testament, particularly before or just at the inauguration of the Old Covenant, which speaks specifically to Sinai, by the way. That's an important distinction to make, too. What is the Old Covenant? The Old Covenant would be the Sinai Covenant, and uh, Abraham is prior to the Old Covenant. Abraham um, actually is, is pretty explicit. It's kind of neat when you tease it out and, and discover it. But Abraham expresses prophet role, priest role, and king role. It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty cool to uh, define that. Um, Moses, in a very important way, um, more or less exemplified a threefold possession of that office, which then none thereafter had it until that prophet should arise like him, you know, greater than him ultimately, of course, um, who would at last combine these offices. You know, the one who was uh, priest and prophet and king. So was Moses a priest? Um, well, he... He, uh, he did make intercession. intercession. Yeah. He, he did. He, in other words, he wasn't a priest uh, of the Aaronic sort, um, though someone would argue, yeah, but he was of the Levite family too. So you know, they could make these sorts of connections, which legitimate, right? But mm. the point is that Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, right? He's the one. He was the great mediator, the one that brought the uh, the law to the people. Delivered it to them, and uh, and so he he deserves to stand as one that that um, brought the word, brought the prophetic word, um, made sacrifices, and also judged the people. I mean, he was the chief judge, right? and um, I mean that's that's the one point of that Jethro said to him, "You can't do this all by yourself, right? You need this help and stuff." Okay, this is again rabbit trailing. He wouldn't want to do that too too badly here. But um, the point being that in many people's view, 
the old covenant was a covenant where you had this external administration. They needed it. They had to have something. And so they had these people who were um, demonstrating to them through the old covenant sacraments. They, that, that terminology is appropriate. Um, and so they were signifying to the people Christ and the benefits of the covenant of grace through their ministrations, through what they did on behalf of uh, the covenant, the covenant administration that the people could then draw that draw those benefits from. And so what people would say is, well, that was then and this is now. That was then and this is now. That they that back then, yes, there was a kind of a second story, there was a spiritual thing, and then there was this thing underneath it, the physical reality. And our response to that in New Testament terms is that we we still need these things to be signified to us and 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 sealed us and we need a ministry of gods you know we, we need a, a, an, a an authorized ministry um, uh, not just anybody doing this but those who have been you know, set apart to the work uh, of that um, according to the New Testament ordinance of Pastors and teachers and, and that sort of thing. Um, so that the, being a minister of the new covenant does in fact, you know, it is in fact a way in which God brings these benefits to us. It's just better, or as you read a little bit earlier from the um, uh, chapter 6, was it? Or was it of the... Of the Westminster? Chapter, oh, chapter 7, chapter section 7, 6. Chapter 7, section yeah. 6. Um, that, um, you know, this, it, you know, at the present time, these ordinances, uh, preaching of the word, the administration of the two sacraments, um, they're fewer in number, administered with more simplicity, less outward glory, and that would be than in the Former times in the in the uh, and yet it, it, despite the, the 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 greater simplicity and the less outward glory, yet in in more fullness, more evidence, more spiritual efficacy than even they had uh, in earlier times um, in the former covenant age. You would, if you look back at the um, chapter paragraph five of that one chapter, you'd see how their hope was expressed and, and the like in that chapter under those former ordinances and, and the like. Um, so the, the, the holy ordinances of God are those things that he has appointed. And uh, we, we would even say, when, when we say they were instituted by Christ, we would even confess that Christ himself prior to his incarnation, is, you know, this, we'll say this, God the Son, 
Now, the second person of the Trinity is appearing in glory there upon the Mount Sinai. And he's the one, right? So it's the pre-incarnate Christ, we would would say. Same person, not yet manifested and uh, anointed to that work in terms of history, and yet the eternal plan of God is unfolding. So there he is upon Sinai, and he's giving them these ordinances, right? We'd even go back further and say, you know, whenever it was that, you know, post-fall, we had the institution of sacrifice, you know, that, that Cain and Abel are the first, you know, exhibits of, um, actually offering sacrifice. Um, who gave it to them? Who gave that to them? I mean, again, you know, the, 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 the God who walked with uh, Adam and Eve in the, in the, in, in, and came to visit them in the cool of the day, right? This would be none other than the God who draws near to us and, and uh, is, you know, we, we would call it theophany. We would call it, you know, and, and again, even taking Jesus at his word, you know, the spirit of God, he's invisible, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit, that is. Um, you know, you see the trees moving, you see the, the evidence of his presence, but you don't see him. Um, you don't see God the Father. You don't see um, the, um, you know, unless, as Philip said, you know, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father, right? But really, the, 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 um, the, the fount of the Godhead, you know, in terms of the first person of the Trinity, remains, you know, absolute in this... Uh, hiddenness and this and this uh, unapproachable glory, right? But because of Jesus and this uniting of the two natures in hypostatic union, you know, we have this uh, wonderful reality of um, God in the flesh, God who's come as close to us as can possibly come by taking on our nature and so inviting us into His very presence, and so. That which would utterly consume us doesn't because of Jesus. Again, it's all because of Jesus. So this, so the second person becomes for us the very means by which we come as close to God as is possible. God not only by the Holy Spirit dwelling, indwelling us. I mean, that's pretty close, right? And then uh, Jesus uh, indicates that you know, through our relationship with him, we're drawn to the Father. So it's not as though we are... Uh, cut off in any way, we are as close to God as we can possibly be through the second person and through uh, what we have in him being our mediator. And yet we are not at the present time in the presence of God. We're still in the world. We're still on earth. We're not in heaven yet. expression I like to use sometimes in, in preaching and talking about the Lord's Supper when we serve it and the like. But the veil, uh, you know, when we are in worship and particularly when we're at the table, the, the veil is thin, uh, separating time from eternity. It's thinned out till, as he says, take, eat, you know, take it up in your hand, you know, um, and, and place it in your mouth, the bread and the cup, drink it. And 
according to Jesus Christ himself, we are, in effect, touching him and communing with him in the nearest possible terms as can be experienced while still in this life. When once we're out of this life, then there will be another kind of communion, another kind of closeness, which will only be enhanced just a little farther in the day of resurrection, when there will be a physical hand again, you know, controlled by my spirit, where I can touch him, I could embrace him. I just can't, I I, I won't have the hand to do it, and yet, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I'm going to be actually moved forward in the spiritual sense from where I am presently, in some respect, having left the body of death behind. Okay? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I'm going to actually pass through the veil at that point, into glory at that point, in my spirit. And so. The only thing I won't be able to have then and there is that physical embrace until I get my body back. But for the now, while there's a kind of spiritual veil that's still, I'm not in heaven yet, (laughs) much as I might like to be. But we get this foretaste of heaven in worship. We get this glory that that is drawing so close to us now. And so... When I partake of the table, um, not in a corporal or carnal manner, as, the, as we confess in our form of confession, but nevertheless, really, really and spiritually, spiritually. we are um, partaking of Christ. Partakers of his body and blood... I'm just reading question, answer 96, in terms of the Lord's Supper. So, according to Christ's appointment, his death is showed forth, and worthy receivers are, by faith, made partakers of his body and blood. I just left out the words, are not after a corporal and carnal manner, but... So, um, and in the, in the confession itself, I think in the confession part is where... It says, but spiritually. Yeah, so worthy receivers outwardly partaking mm-hmm. of the visible elements in the sacrament, mm-hmm. then do also inwardly by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally or corporally, but spiritually, mm-hmm. receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death, the body and the blood of Christ being that not corporally or carnally in, with, or under the bread and wine, mm-hmm. so Luther's out, yet as really, but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward sense. Right, so this, you know, this is, and this is, this is an important thing for us, for us to insist let me, upon. Let me just, let me just add right in there that I believe yeah. that those are some of the most beautiful words written by man. <laughs> I just, I, they grip my heart and put a lump in my throat every single time I read them. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry okay. to interrupt. That's, those are, those are wonderful sentiments. I'm glad you're happy, you know, I'm happy you're expressing them for the listeners. I hope that they would um, appreciate that and, and recognize that um, even if I can't spell it out for somebody or put it into any 
more, you know, more accessible or more uh, uh, with even deeper understanding or something, uh, you know, some, somehow to, you know, increase the uh, someone's, you know, depth of perception or something. You know, somebody had asked me some question similar this this week about about these things, these spiritual things, and 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 the the benefits. How do how does the how does the supper was the question strengthen my faith? And I just said, well, I know that it does. Amen. Because that's what the scriptures say. Yes. I don't know how it does. <laughs> Uh, no, years and years ago, we know when those words were first, um, well, I'm thinking about the Bible itself, when the New Testament is actually first written. Um, so in the first century uh, AD, okay, uh, mankind's scientific knowledge and understanding of certain things in the physical realm is such that people cannot explain how it is that, um, you know, they eat a piece of bread or they eat some rabbit stew or whatever and they are strengthened. They don't know how it works. They just know that it does. They just know that they need nourishment and they need to eat, um, you know, good food and not uh, stuff that's bad for them. Um, now we know today a little bit more about the chemical reactions, the breakdown of the the substance of the the things into more elemental forms, and the way that our enzymes attack these things and 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 then transform them. Uh, and then things are absorbed into our bloodstream and our body, you know, all these things. But I can keep asking the question, how? Yeah. Well, how? Well, how does that work? Well, how does that work? And at some point, the brilliant scientist who knows all these things at a much deeper level than I do says, well, I don't know that or we don't know that yet. And see, you can keep asking the how question until you get a I don't know how. Right. I don't know if we'll ever know how, but that it does is true. Yes. And so I am uh, put into communion with my Lord. Uh, and, uh, and again, another one of my uh, favorite you know, quotes or almost quotes or whatever is um, when the question is asked, um, well, why do I need the table Rather than preaching, or preaching rather than the table, why not? Why not just just focus on the one the one thing? And the answer was and, and and is you don't get a different Christ in the supper than you get in the Word. Mm-hmm. Um, but with reference to the supper, sometimes you get him better. And just like when our life, our life communion with the people around us may be primarily through one form of interaction, and occasionally it will be through another kind of interaction. Um, but I'm not encountering a different person, right? Um, let's say that most of my interaction with such, such and such a person is um, um, through a carpool, okay? Um, and uh, that's how, you know, I have interaction with, with Joe, okay? Well, one time, Joe gets invited over to dinner, and we sit around a table, and we, we have a, a, a different sort of interaction. Or we uh, 
go out and play a game together, like uh, baseball. We have, we're going to be on the same team, or basketball, or volleyball, whatever it is. Okay, and so we are we are now engaged in another form of interaction, and we're maybe engaged in something where. You know, when we're driving in the car and one or the other of us is driving or we're both just sitting there while somebody else drives or whatever, our interaction is, um, is, uh, is verbal, it's, it can be somewhat distracted, it can be focused on work or whatever it is like this. But, you know, when we play the game together, all of a sudden we're depending on each other in a completely different way than we were before. We're, we're, and, but I'm not getting a different Joe, right. right? But it could be that the game doesn't, really affect our relationship too much or whatever. But on the other hand, it might just be that I get Joe better mm. that day because we were playing a game together and it did something for our relationship that just carpooling it with him or even sitting with him at the table wasn't going to do. And so we, 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 you know, th- this, this notion of Participating with the body and the blood of the Lord is, you know, as you know, I I, I like the way that the Heidelberg Catechism puts these matters when talking about the the sacraments and 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 the like. Uh, so I'll just read um, what it says. Um, for the particular question here. Number 79. Why didn't this Christ call this bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood? Paul uses the words, a participation in Christ's body and blood. Answer. Christ has good reason for these words. He wants to, he wants to teach us that as bread and wine nourish our temporal life, So too his crucified body and poured out blood truly nourish our souls for eternal life. But more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance. And that all his suffering and obedience are are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins." The language of just as, so too. You know, as bread and wine nourish our temporal life, so too his crucified body uh, and poured out blood truly nourish our souls for eternal life. Just, uh, just as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance, we are assured by the visible sign and pledge that we, through his Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood. So, as surely as the one to the other. So these simple, visible things are a bearing witness to us that, you know, you sit and you eat food, and the only proof that you need that it's working is you're not starving to death. Okay? Just as surely as that 
you can have confidence that the promise of God attached to these things in a spiritual sense is also happening. Yes. You see, just as, so as this does this, so this does that. Just as surely as this, be assured that this. And um, this is as definitely ours uh, as if we personally had suffered. Um, So that's the language of... Uh, assurance there in these things. So when he says in the answer that I read a little earlier from the Westminster Shorter of 92, um, these sensible signs, these holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs, so, and, and he's pointing to these things as things that are appealing to your bodily senses. There's a distinction, in a, in a sense, being made here between the sense of hearing as it seems to me fairly clear if, 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 God's, if, God, if the word of promise is his path to our intellect, preferable to visual, by the way, right? That's why, that's why idolatry is, is not suitable for us in any form, right? Because the visual... Uh, Avenue or gate uh, is not as suitable for God's communicating of Himself as the audible is the, the word, and you know we we translate you know the word to the page, and of course we're going to receive that again through reading. But again, though it's clearly the word, the word is somehow being transmuted into our intellect by what we see, but it's still fundamentally an auditory thing. So that is you know, preaching of the gospel. You know, so the word of God, God, the word is so important that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So the word of God, as it comes to us in one form or another, is the principal means of God's communicating to us, communicating his will to us. Uh, we, we can't get into the mind of God any other way than if God takes his mind and expresses it to us in some way. And what visuals lack, well, one, one of the things that visuals lack is uh, translation. You need an explanation for what it is you are seeing. And you can, you can impose your own meaning on it, but then, you know, you're just as likely to get two different explanations other than one shared explanation, where you are working toward a common meaning. So, um, you know, this is a, you know, the, a, a belief in, the, the fun, a fundamental belief in the Christian religion or revealed religion is uh, that, um, you know, it, against the postmoderns, um, meaning is not subjective. Uh, but it ha- there is there is such a thing as objective meaning, and it's our task as uh, recipients of communication. Your 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 receiving communication from me, my my receiving from you, or from God, you know, is I have a duty, uh, intellectual duty, um, a a spiritual duty to understand the mind of God, understand the revelation that He gives as he would have me understand it, not as it would suit me to hear him or whatever else, you know, 
what, whatever that might amount to. So, yet we are embodied beings by nature. We can have an existence apart from the body, but it is an uh, incomplete existence. So our, our, our spirit, our, our mind, our intellect, if you will, or all those faculties, emotion and, and all of that, um, is not... Uh, it needs a body for full expression, we would say. But we will still have an existence even though our bodies are not united uh, to our spirit. Our bodies being still united to Christ, <laughs> as the question and answer goes, um, you rest in their graves until the resurrection when they're restored, glorified and restored to us through the power of Christ's resurrection. And so we are embodied, and the Lord is so gracious to us as to use our bodies as well to communicate to us, but not alone. So there's not much value uh, there's limited value. Let's put it, let's use that expression. There's limited value to the supper alone, or just observe. Let's say somebody observed the supper. Say they walked in and, and halfway through the service, or or three quarters of the way, and and saw you observing the supper at the end of the regular meal, or they saw a baptism, just observed it. Uh, you know, walked in. You know, they came. I understand you. you your, your child was being baptized. Today, so I decided to come for that. But I'm leaving now, right? So they walk in. They didn't want to be part of the worship service, but they wanted to come in and see the baptism and then leave. Every okay. congregation has one. <laughs> All I'm or saying five. is that if they do that, you know, we, we yeah. I, I will saturate my uh, administration with um, words, right? Explanatory words. Amen. But uh, supposing that uh, you know all of that was sort of front loaded, and we just did the baptism, and then. You know, there would be very limited words. I baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and that would be it. And it wouldn't really explain a whole lot. It might be, you know, it would, it could accomplish whatever the Lord willed it. Right? The Word will always accomplish that which for which He sends it. Um, but we, because of the way that we, the, the importance that we place upon the Word. The, the, the spoken word, the preached word, um, it won't do to just have a, you know, something akin to the Roman Catholic Mass or something, right? Because in their view, uh, the, the vital thing, you know, they might want to say the right words, they might want to do the right gestures and all that other stuff. But the important thing is to perform this act and so create this grace in the world or whatever, which may be then, you know, Accepted and all this stuff because it's treated like a spiritual type of substance or something along that line. And then that's the vital thing. The important thing is to get your grace that Sunday or whatever they're going to do. Once a year for some, you know. I know. But anyway, um, that's, that's just in, in terms of Roman Catholic theology, that's the yeah. vital thing for them, right? Whereas we would say you don't really have much of a meal if it hasn't been... Uh, accompanied with the word, right. the preaching of the word, right. and as much explanation as we put in conjunction with the actual thing itself, a kind of a 
uh, uh, traditional and, and um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, uh, a directory uh, of worship form where that we follow something consistently, a pattern of, of expression. Um, and yet, we would say uh, it's hardly complete unless the preaching of the word accompanies Amen. this meal. Yes. Amen. Okay, so when we have the supper, is in my view, um, we can have the preached word as the major means, and it will be a worship service that might not have the supper attached to it, but it would be improper to try to have the supper without the word. But so when we, when we have the supper and the word together... And this would hold true for those uh, that have the supper every single week. What they are doing is they are marrying up all of the appreciation for and reception of Christ that they can that they can marry up, so that there's this appeal not only to the uh, the auditory gate or avenue. But also the visual and the um, olfactory, the nose, um, the uh, taste buds, um, uh, and and even the touch to some degree, right? Because you have to hold yes. these things, or whether it's the holding the bread or holding the cup. So there are tactile, uh, ben- you know, avenues through which all of these things are being vouchsafed to us by, by Christ. Um, Beautiful and, point. And, and so uh, the sacraments have great value because they are coming at us from every avenue with this... Um, to, in order that we might ap- appreciate Christ and be assured of his sentiments toward us and affections for us. And um, that I, I'm being reminded that he not only had, but has a body. Yes. Um, and I am touching it you know, through these instrumental, you know, things, in a spiritual way I'm touching it. Yes. Like, I'm not actually got a hold of his arm, right? Or which molecules of his body I am actually, you know, grasping in my hand. No, that would be something more like the Lutheran view. Right. Which, who insists on it. It says, well, I don't know where you're grabbing him by the elbow funny bone or by the earlobe but uh, you're still you know you you've got a physical christ in your hand we're like okay um you're just gonna have to agree to disagree right but i'm not going to let you get away with telling me that i'm not laying hold of christ as best as a human being can this side of heaven amen i am I am laying out, and, and how I don't know how, you know. <laughs> you who say that we're the ones who are, who are uh, not, you know, not um, or overly rationalistic or something. I'm not 
I'm, I, I'm not insisting on the how. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing that I am laying hold of Christ and the real Christ and a spiritual Christ. And um, you're just insisting that, you know, if he is not in that bodily way. First, they also want to affirm everything that we say that he's present spiritually because they don't want us to get that advantage right. on them, right? But, you know, and, and again, I'm not here to denigrate these, uh, these Lutheran brethren. I think I'm more, more likely to affirm their brotherhood with me than they are to affirm my brotherhood with them. <laughs> You've noticed. <laughs> but be that as it may, I'm yes. saying that, that we have this 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 appropriation of Christ yes. as as in, as as much of an encouragement to us as it can possibly be, and and you know uh, the 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 other you know the the expression "you are what you eat" uh, is um, not. You know, to, it, it shouldn't be. It, it shouldn't be taken any more literally than we would say. Yeah, and you just became that piece of bread. You know, there's like you, you're now you're now partly bread. Right? No, <laughs> I, I am not partly bread because I ate the piece of bread. But there is another sense in which, you know, you are what you eat. Right. It has a has a has a legitimate sort of uh, sense to it, right? Certainly. And so this participation with. Uh, the one body that we are all participating of, so we are all partaking of one Christ. We're, and so we're all eating the same thing, right? So the one loaf, the one cup, you know, metaphor there for us is to say that as we all eat and drink the same thing, we are all being conformed to the same image, Amen. the same Christ. Preach. And, and he's being represented to us. Now, this is all the New Testament expression, but... The people in the old covenant era were being, um, uh, through their own uh, set of sensible signs, instituted by Christ. By the way, uh, is by the by by that uh, pre-incarnate Christ upon the mountaintop in uh, staggering glory display and sensory overload, um, and. Uh, and, and so the, the benefits of the covenant of grace, which comes to full expression in the new covenant, but yet those benefits are being represented and sealed and applied to believers of that age as well, you see. And they were brought to an altar. An altar where... Being copies of the things, of heavenly things, as the writer of the Hebrews points out, this is uh, Moses' Sinai vision being brought down into the middle of the people's camp. It is, as this preacher I heard one time say, you know, it's you know the the the, the altar of burnt offering is like them carrying the 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 fires. That were present on Sinai, just going with them, you know, through the wilderness, and ultimately into the land, and, and there and there it is still with them, uh, and they have 
the the so so you know in in the altar, you know what you have is the I mean the whole tabernacle as the Gospel of John demonstrates as as Jesus himself says that he is that the temple that he's speaking of is his body destroy this temple so he's he's making a, a, a an explicit analog between himself and the temple but then we can see in all the various things that we find in the tabernacle from the um, relentlessly lit uh, candelabra right uh, the, the the light of the world, you know, the, the bread of life, uh, you know, these, the, you know, the, um, these are these are things that all is all together. The whole thing in, in each in its parted, you know, the, the particular, you know, because it was divided into these various, you know, scenes and vision. Right, you could take it all in. But that's a big picture, lots going on, just like a painting where you would get up close and see the particular details and appreciate the parts of the painting, not just you can appreciate it. So, so too, the canvas of the, uh, the tabernacle is, is that which is displaying Christ. And, and he's, he's there in the priestly ministry. And he's not just serving at the altar, he's laid upon the altar. The Lamb of God, it takes away the sin of the world. And and these are people are are being introduced to these 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 aspects all in like you know you know um, you know today we have you know we've gone beyond slideshows, beyond even home movies to you know to uh you know just you know people don't I know they do take pictures because my kids are always taking pictures and stuff. But, you know, people are just as likely to create little videos, right, uh, of themselves. And, uh, and so, we, you know, in the Old Testament terms, you know, they, they had these, these pictures or paintings. So they had these slideshows that were, that were going along. Uh, you know, and, and, and then, you know, no matter how... Uh, close to reality you're getting with that eventually you know you say i want the real thing i want the reality to come and and you know you eventually you know you hope to get that in in the case of christ you know you eventually get the embodiment of all this promise you know arriving and and so the people are being uh, through the through the through the scene that they see there uh, at the temple through the through the display of the altar and the activities there through the descriptions that they're receiving of how the high priest may be going within the temple bounds to um, uh, service the lamps and service the bread and lay the the incense upon the altar and once a year the priest being Summoned in through the veil and and these sorts of things, the people are are understanding that these things are taking place. The people at prayer, Luke chapter one, you know, are there and they understand that Zacharias is going in to do particular things in there on their behalf, right? And so, even without the visual, it might be that the that the smell of the incense could could waft back out over the people that he was burning and they would smell it. They would say, I, I know what's happening now. 
So again, what's happening? Their senses are being engaged in all of these things, along with, always with, the Word of God. The Word of God is accompanying all of this. And, and yet, they were even more dependent upon these visual uh, and, uh, and uh, olfactory and, and uh, their, their participation in the meals, whether we're talking about the feasts or we're talking about the uh, sacrificial meals, where you know, besides the the uh, the Passover lamb sacrifice, but all of the sacrifices, you know, so that there would be a an engagement with, you know, some of them they might not eat any of, um, but the priests would, and 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 some of them were explicitly, you know, the the the, the last uh, one or two of the five that talked about in the first five or six chapters of Leviticus. Um, are the fellowship meal, right? The fellowship, the the um, the sacrifices of uh, of the. Uh, oh, why am I having a brain a brain collapse here? Um, You're referring to the the peace offering. The peace, the peace, the peace offering. Yes. So you know, there, there, there. It's very explicit. There, there. It's clear that they were, um, yeah, even uh, joining. In this, and the, the 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 Passover lamb itself was a kind of a peace offering. Amen. But the so the um, so what so you know ultimately all of this is is driving at this reality that these people were being engaged at nothing less than. This sacramental level, whatever language might have been preferred in one age over another age, you know, for talking about these things, or if somebody today just wants to call them, as the as we say here, it, a sacrament is a holy ordinance. You know, there are some who only want to use the language of ordinance because they want to just entirely get away from this sacramental term. Um, that's their right. I'm not going to. Um, deny them the privilege of choosing their own words or terms. But if I use the term sacrament, I don't necessarily mean what the Roman Catholic means or or some other person means Amen. by that. So I, I'm not afraid of the terms. I don't think we should be afraid of no. the terms properly no, properly used, properly understood. So um, I guess that uh, that that's my effort at uniting these thoughts Old Testament and New Testament. And maybe maybe it's worth saying that um, it, I would want to be careful not to leave the impression with people that, um, which I think some would like to maybe paint us, I'd say myself, but I'll include you, which is that uh, we're we're so invested in continuity or something that we can't appreciate what is discontinuous or what is new or better about the new covenant. Well, uh, the book of Hebrews is in my Bible too. Um, <laughs> uh, the the new covenant is better, and Christ is better, and 
I do not want to um, do what some might say, which is you know over invest my New Testament uh, views with with uh, an Old Testament cast or something. Well, that would be truly indeed. And for those who are guilty of that, it's a mistake to run it the wrong direction, okay? And um, and try to bring forward into our New Testament ministry and activities uh, a you know an Old Testament or Old Covenant, to be more particular, uh, cast to things. I think that's what you do get. For example, in the highly ritualistic um, churches and and the like, the communions like the Roman communion and and that sort of thing, Um, they have so put an Old Testament cast on a New Testament reality that they reckon the ministrations of their clergy uh, as priestly Ministrations. Now, for us who are New Testament people, New Testament-minded folk, um, this is a a grave departure from what the New Testament teaches about the fulfillment of priesthood in Christ. Um, we don't need uh, another priesthood. Our Ministers are the you know, ministers of the new covenant and are not priests. The priests were ministers of the old covenant. They were a certain kind of minister. And they had a particular function uh, to perform. Uh, and in many respects, it was part of the division of labor and the division of ministry that the priests had a particular kind of that ministry to perform in the Old Covenant uh, era. Um, but we're new, we are New Covenant ministers who are in this role, in this office. Um, and um, I'm sure that there are some today also who say that that description is somehow universal to believers. I think that's a wrong perspective to take because they were called a kingdom of priests in the Old in the Old Testament. Okay? That didn't make all of them priests Properly. after the uh, the the order of Aaron or the the uh, the office, the Levitical office. Okay? So, um, we just need to be accurate and careful in our use of the New Testament terms as much as you know, we would have expected them to show accuracy in, in Old Testament terms. Um, anyway. Can we, can yeah. we All right. Fantastic. So 